Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. My guests come from all walks of life and are people who get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is where they become curious, then enter the rabbit hole into discovery, some through scholarly research, others through pop culture documentaries and other podcasts. We look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Be sure to like and subscribe. It really does help to spread the word. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find us at armchairhistorians.com. Armchair Historians is an independent podcast. If you'd like to support the show, become a patron through Patreon or buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi. Links to both in the episode notes. Hello, fellow armchair historians. Welcome to our first episode of 2023. Today, I talked to Christopher C. Gorham, high school history teacher and author of The Confidant, the untold story of the woman who helped win World War II and shape modern America. Now this is the kind of history I can sink my teeth into. It is a relatively unknown history about a woman who yielded a great deal of political power throughout much of the 20th century and whose legacy is little known. Who was Anna Rosenberg and why don't we know more about her? Well, a true confidant is one in whom your secrets are safe. And Anna was a true and trusted confidant to politicians in high places on both sides of the aisle. Anna was not the type to kiss and tell. She knew how to keep a secret, which is why her story has been kept undercover. That is until now. Christopher C. Gorham, welcome to Armchair Historians. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for having me. So we just get right off into it, and I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? Well, my favorite history, World War I, is kind of the, the era that is hard for me to stay away from. I, my favorite movie of all time is a World War I movie. It's Gallipoli, sort of the 19th century expectations of war, this idea that all of these men were going to go off to war in Europe with Napoleonic valor and glory. And they found the trenches and rats and machine guns and high explosive artillery. It's, there's a certain pathos to it that always grabs me. And in my story, Anna Rosenberg was you know, arrived at the, in the United States from, from Hungary in the, the years right before the beginning of World War I. So that's kind of uh, where my story picks up. So you've written a book, obviously, about your protagonist. Can you tell us the name of the book and kind of a synopsis of what the book is about? Yeah. So the book is called The Confidant, The Untold Story of the Woman Who Helped Win World War II and Shape Modern America. And it's the first biography of a woman named Anna Rosenberg, who was an immigrant from Hungary, and like I said, as a child in the years before World War I. And uh, came to New York, as so many people did, you know, through Ellis Island. It's kind of the classic story. And was just kind of a force. Uh, somebody in her high school called her a Roman candle darting into space. And she was a natural leader, 
uh, very energetic, took to American citizenship right away. And in her 20s, she met Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. And that's kind of where her story uh, really accelerated. I had never heard of her before. So this is a new history for me, which I really appreciate. And the tagline says, the untold story of the woman who helped win World War II and shape modern America. So how did she shape World War II? How did that happen? There were a couple of really key things that she had a hand in. And one of those was uh, even before the war started when the defense factories were and industries were not hiring black Americans. These were good paying jobs. It was, you know, after this long depression and these were good jobs to have and there was discrimination. And there was a conversation. Eleanor Roosevelt was involved. Uh, Fiorello LaGuardia, the mayor of New York, was involved uh, with with the president. Anna Rosenberg was involved with the president, um, as well as black leaders, A. Philip Randolph, and Walter White, to mandate that the defense industries hire black Americans. And Anna Rosenberg, uh, together with Eleanor Roosevelt, but really took a, a, a leadership role in negotiating that, uh, what became the Executive Order 8802, and really um, persuaded, uh, cajoled President Roosevelt to sign it. Uh, he wasn't, he had to be kind of dragged into doing that. It was the right thing to do. And she was just instrumental in seeing that that got passed. And uh, that was the first thing. Um, when strikers, there were people that were working on the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb program, 130,000 Americans were working on it at these secret sites around the country. And they wanted some of them, uh, they didn't know what they were working on, but they were working and they wanted to unionize. And the problem with that was it was going to lead to publicity publicity that could have imperiled the, the vital secrecy of the bomb project. So Roosevelt calls Anna Rosenberg, his Mrs. Fix-It, and says, uh, Anna, you have to go talk to these union leaders and get them to stand down. And uh, she said, well, Mr. President, you know, all we really have is your word, your goodwill with these, with these unions. And lo and behold, it was enough. And the, the secrecy of the atomic bomb uh, was preserved. And there are others, other stories that involve uh, her going to the battle zone in 1944 and in 1945 that I talked about in the book. So the pivotal moment in her life is when she ends up on the radar of the Roosevelt's. And Absolutely how right. does that, yeah. how does that happen? How does that actually happen? Anna Rosenberg, like I said, was just kind of when she arrived in the United States, it was, it was a, uh, she'd been sort of kicked out of uh, the Austro-Hungarian empire. Her family had by the emperor and they get to the United States, they get to New York and, you know, voting and jury duty and freedom of speech. And she just, it just, she loved it. And so she became interested in politics, even as she was trying to get her career off the ground. She was very interested in politics. And that's how she met Eleanor Roosevelt. There was a women's Democratic Party event at the Biltmore Hotel in 1928. And Anna Rosenberg met Eleanor Roosevelt there. Eleanor found out that Anna was involved in labor relations and uh, labor policy and said, well, my husband's running for governor of New York. I'd like you to come and meet him. So that's how it all started. So I'm always fascinated by a woman who is able to have such, to yield such power and to do it in a way where she's not even on our radar really today. Uh, except for maybe your book will change that. 
So what is it about her personality that makes her able to interject herself into these important uh, moments in history? That's just such a great question. And she was mentored in New York City at a pretty young age when she was in her, her 20s by Bell Moskowitz. Bell Moskowitz was an advisor to New York Governor Al Smith and was sort of the queen of sort of wielding behind the scenes power. Very, very powerful woman through her governor, Al Smith, who also ran for president. Anna saw that up close, how a woman could wield that kind of behind the scenes power. And uh, as her grandson told me, you know, she had the the social graces, she had the, the wiles or the, the, the power to get into these rooms uh, with powerful men. She had the skill to get into these rooms with powerful men and the social graces to stay there. Tremendously hardworking, tremendously bright, super smart, and loyal, loyal to a fault. I mean, she was, you know, the book is called The Confidant. And when somebody told Anna Rosenberg something important, it stayed with Anna Rosenberg. And that's part of the reason we don't know about her. She was tremendously loyal to the leaders that, that she was help, helping uh, shape policy. Yeah, it, just an incredible sort of behind-the-scenes shaper of uh, multiple American policies, both in, in wartime and in peacetime. So why this history? How did you get involved with that rabbit hole of finding out about Anna Rosenberg and then ultimately writing the book? Well, Anne-Marie, I had seen a picture of... Anna Rosenberg, who's a pretty striking looking woman with uh, President Harry Truman. And the caption, if I recall, said, um, uh, Anna Rosenberg, Assistant Secretary of Defense. And I, I was, you know, I was kind of amazed. I've never heard of this woman. I've heard of Frances Perkins. We've, of course, heard of Eleanor Roosevelt and uh, Ovetta Culp Hobby and, and other women, you know, sub cabinet and cabinet members, but why not Anna Rosenberg? So I started looking around had some of my students help me. I'm a high school history teacher in suburban Boston, and we realized there's no books on Anna Rosenberg. There's a few academic articles, but but not a single book. And it turns out that her papers were at Harvard University at the Schlesinger Library. So my wife and I and a group of students went down and, and had a look at the papers back in uh, April of 2019. And, you know, they roll out the, the boxes and they we, they have us put the gloves on. My kids are opening the boxes and, you know, Mr. Gorham, come over here, see what I found. And Anne-Marie, it was incredible. Franklin Roosevelt, handwritten letters, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, General Eisenhower, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Lady Bird Johnson. I, it was a roll call of history. And that was uh, the, the, the genesis of the project. Before we move on from World War II, because there is more to her history, is there anything else that we need to know? I do want people to get the book, so don't give us too much away. <laughs> But is there anything you want to share with us about World War II before we kind of move on? Yes, I talked a, a little about the domestic policies that she helped shape. And maybe even more dramatic than that is just weeks after D-Day, weeks after June 1944, President Roosevelt, you know, who was wheelchair bound. And he, he told her very candidly, he wished it could have been him that went over to Europe and visited the troops that were then racing across France. But he sent her as his personal representative, a civilian woman, you know, what, 40, 45 years old at the time or so. And, you know, she went over to, to France with the, with the armies that were then crossing France. She slept on the ground. She ate rations. 
And she wrote notebook after notebook after notebook of what their experience was not only in the battle zone, but their dreams and hopes for when they got home, if they got home. And that became really the one of the driving features of the what became the GI Bill. So she was involved in shaping that. Absolutely, absolutely. These guys, it was a surprise to her and it was a surprise to Roosevelt. These men had lived through the Great Depression. They had never owned a home. They had found it hard to get jobs. Uh, what they wanted that was surprising to Roosevelt and Rosenberg was they wanted not vocational training or not job training. They wanted an education. You know, they had, before the GI Bill, the only people that were really educated were men of, of, of kind of wealth. Ordinary Americans, ordinary American men and women were not college educated. And they wanted that. They, they said, you know, if I had an education, I'd be a lieutenant now. They, they were worried, if I don't have an education, well, I won't be competitive when I get back to the United States. So education, not vocational training, not dancing lessons, but education became the thrust of the, the GI Bill's provisions. I just want to tell you, I keep getting chills every time I hear a new part of her story because, I mean, I love this kind of a story. And I'm so glad that you and your students were able to dig into uh, the archives and bring it to light. Well, I am too. And it was, as we were, you know, I lived just a couple miles from, from Harvard in the library there, fortunately, and I was able to go on the weekends. And I'll tell you, weekend after weekend, the story became fuller and fuller. It was like Zelig or or Forrest Gump, you know, of history. She just kind of has her, she's playing a role in a lot of history in the 40s and 50s. It was pretty incredible. That is a good analogy. So I'm wondering, is there any video of her? Is there any film of her or footage? There is. There, the, probably the, the most significant one is in 1959, after, you know, obviously after World War II, after she'd been Assistant Secretary of Defense, you know, she was sort of at the end of the period where she was quite famous. In the 40s and 50s, she was a famous person. She was in the New York Times. She was on magazine covers. She was in Life and, and Time, you know, uh, four dozen times or something like that. In 1959, sort of at the end of this period of her life, uh, Edward R. Murrow had a television show called Person to Person, where he would send cameras into Mickey Mantle's house or, you know, Jackie and, and John F. Kennedy were guests on the show. So Edward R. Murrow sent cameras into Anna Rosenberg's uh, house on Fifth Avenue, apartment on Fifth Avenue in New York. And, you know, she's she's interviewed, talks to him for about 20, 25 minutes about her career. It's pretty amazing. He said, Anna, you have quite a story to tell. And she said, she said, Ed, that's a story that will never be told because she was the <laughs> confidant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So then after World War II, what, that's not the end of her. What is the trajectory of her life? That's probably the most kind of incredible thing is that there was a journalist who said during World War II, with the exception, the possible exception of Harry Hopkins, Anna Rosenberg might have been the closest person to the president. You know, he had lost a lot of his inner circle, Missy Lehand his work and play companion had become very ill. Tommy Corcoran was kind of pushed out for other reasons. It kind of remained during, at World War II, it was kind of Hopkins and Anna. They were very, very close to the president and met with him one-on-one -on -one very often. And the incredible thing is that was just sort of act one for Anna. In 1950, at the dawn of the Korean War, things were going terribly bad. 
the North Koreans are pushing the South Korean army back. The Americans are in disarray. Truman fires his secretary of defense and calls in George Marshall, the architect of World War II. Marshall, in turn, calls on Anna Rosenberg, civilian woman, takes her out of retirement in New York City and says, I need you to help rebuild this army if we're going to win the war in Korea and uh, you know occupy West Germany and Japan and contain communism. So she became the, it wasn't easy, but eventually she became the Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, during the Korean War. That was my dad's era. He was in, he was stationed in France. I always, well, I shouldn't say that, but I always say that the only action he saw was my mother because he married a woman from France and brought her back to the U.S. <laughs> Is that how they met? Did they meet in, in France that, at that time? Yeah, my grandfather was a photographer and had a photography studio and dad was a amateur photographer and he had some film and he brought it into his studio to get developed and the rest is history. <laughs> How that's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So then I also read that she had something to do with uh she was involved with Kennedy. Yes. Roosevelt relied upon her, trusted her. Truman relied upon her, trusted her. She was great friends with General Eisenhower and helped him pivot from soldier to statesman. So Eisenhower relied upon her. And of course, uh, Lyndon Johnson, they'd known each other back since, you know, 37 and 38. They're tremendously fond of each other. And as president, uh, as majority leader, as congressman, uh, Johnson relied on Anna Rosenberg quite a lot. The one president who didn't, uh, you know, tap her to be a cabinet member or didn't really rely on her for anything other than fundraising is John F. Kennedy. Um, he really, some people called it a, a sort of a stag party. You know, he was surrounded by by men, oftentimes men from Harvard, and he did not follow his predecessors in terms of the number of women that, that they had put in high positions of, of power. That said, uh, Anna Rosenberg was a loyal Democrat and a uh, very energetic fundraiser. And she was the co-host of the birthday gala in 1962, where Marilyn Monroe famously sang uh, happy birthday to President John F. Kennedy. That, like, is curious to me. Did So did, did she actually coordinate Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to the president? I don't know if her, I don't know if she picked the song, um, but she and Anna Rosenberg and Arthur Krim, the other co-host, did put the list together of invitees. So it was, you know, Aretha Franklin and Danny Kaye. And the showstopper was, of course, at the very end, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. In the photographs, if you look at photographs from that evening, you know, the big birthday cake and, and Marilyn Monroe sitting right next to President Kennedy, you can see the back of her head is Anna Rosenberg. They sat right next <laughs> to each other. So I always ask, where do we see this history in pop culture? So I just want to say that when you said that, Kim Kardashian actually wore her dress to the Met Gala, which I think put that back on, you know, pop culture's radar was that event, maybe. That um, that's right. So <laughs> I think we I think we snuck in a footnote uh in the book because that happened right when we were kind of finishing up the uh the manuscript. So that's I believe is a footnote in the book. <laughs> that's awesome. Well I I'm ashamed to say I do watch the Kardashians and I, you know, <laughs> talk to my friend Veronica about it all the time. So I don't know what well, we the obsession guilt- is. It's weird. We all have guilty <laughs> pleasures. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> 
So where do we see this in pop culture besides Kim Kardashian? Where do we see her history in pop culture? I'm not sure I would call it necessarily pop culture or just contemporary culture, but Anna Rosenberg was, as she was trying to be uh, confirmed to the Department of Defense during the Korean War, she was the victim to a smear campaign that was orchestrated by a right-wing radio guy named Fulton Lewis and Senator Joe McCarthy. And that has a lot of uh, echoes from today. It was baseless. These were baseless accusations. She was a decorated public servant. Presidents both on the Democratic side and Republican side really admired her. Like I said, Eisenhower on the Republicans, uh, Nelson Rockefeller, one of the Republicans. She was beloved by many. And McCarthy ignored facts, ignored the Mm -hmm. truth, and made these baseless accusations. And we see that today uh, Mm -hmm. out there in, in Washington, and it's it's very dismaying. But it wasn't invented in you know 2016. This has been something that Washington has wrestled with, and Americans have wrestled with, even going back to the 1950s. Good point. What one thing, if my listeners could remember about this history, would you want them to remember? I think the power of a even a single citizen, if she is informed, if she is energetic, willing to work hard, willing to make a change. Anna Rosenberg said at one point, I couldn't just sit by idly and watch things happen. I, I had to make a difference. I had to make a change. And that really was, you know, before she even gets in to meet Eleanor Roosevelt or Franklin Roosevelt, I mean, you sort of have to have that that feeling. I need to make a change. I want to make a change. I want to help democracy any way I can if I have something to offer. And I think that's what really I would hope that resonates with readers, that our story is not fully written. Uh, our fate is not sealed. We can expand our democracy and our democracy, our country can thrive even as never before. But we need individuals and citizens to really t- take it upon themselves to do that. And I think that's the lesson of her life. Your students are lucky to have you to to inspire them and to think about these things. I didn't like history in high school, but it's something I came upon later, actually, when I was in college. And it was it was a professor that really made me love history because she told history like really great stories. And I couldn't wait to go into her class. So anyways, I digress. Uh, where can we find you? I am uh, Christopher C. Gorm. Dot com, uh, not to be confused with the very, very handsome actor uh, named Christopher Gorm. So Christopher C. Gorm. And there you can uh, pre-order the book, The Confidant, uh, which is coming out February 21st of uh, 2023, uh, time for Women's History Month. So it's coming out in February. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with my audience? Well, sometimes I get asked the question, um, I've never heard of her. Who's Anna Rosenberg? Why haven't we heard of her? She did all these amazing things. And I talked a little about it when I said she kept confidences. There are a couple of other reasons I talk more about in the book, but she was educated in the New York public school system. She did not go beyond that. In fact, she does not, well, I don't know if I want to say this, but I'll say it. She did not earn her high school diploma. She left high school before and and got married before she got the diploma. 
And part of why we don't know about her is there's no university or college to really keep her legacy alive. You know, Frances Perkins went to Penn and Columbia and uh, a lot of Eleanor Roosevelt's other women friends uh, had gone to university and so forth. But for Anna Rosenberg, she was just kind of one single individual. And there was not a sort of institution that, that was keeping her, her flame alive during the years. And I think that's part of it. There's also, Anne-Marie, the unfortunate coincidence of last name with the atomic spies who were in the 1950s, uh, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. So for Rosenbergs around the country, that was a very difficult time. And you didn't want to toot your own horn or write your memoirs at that time. So when Edward R. Murrow said, Anna, you have quite a story to tell. These are some of the reasons why she said that's a story that will never be written. Mm. Until you came along, you and your students. That's right. That's right. Well, <laughs> she deserves to be part of the historical discussion. You know, she's a she's quite a hero and a very inspirational citizen, for sure, and a shaper of policy. Yeah, it is. A, it's a wonderful story, and I'm so glad you brought it to light. Well, thank you, Anne-Marie, for making the time uh, to talk about this uh, remarkable woman. She's uh, pretty incredible. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you as well. Thank you for being here. Well, there you have it. Inaugural episode of 2023. For more information about Christopher C. Gorham, the book, and Anna Rosenberg, be sure to check out our episode notes. Thanks for joining us and have a great week. 